Welcome to No Challenges Remaining on day seven of the United States Open 2020. I am Ben Rothenberg. I'm joined by my dear friend, Courtney Nguyen. Hi, Courtney. Hello, Ben. Popular demand. People were, we said we were doing an episode today about the thing that happened today, which we'll get to very shortly. People were like, but what if Courtney's not on it? It will be nothing. Where's Courtney? We want Courtney. First of all, Again, those, are sarcastic, those are sarcastic trolley tweets. And this is what you get. This is what you get. Now I'm you here. Yeah. To like roll in takes about a situation I was barely paying attention to because ladies were out there performing on Armstrong. But I have opinions, so it's fine. <laughs> as as Mary <laughs> Carillo said at the end of the excellent fit of a Rogers match, no line judges were harmed in the making of this match. <laughs> Reem Abuleil is also here. Reem and Sarah's Middle East correspondent. This is a sort of somewhat all hands on deck moment for us within reason. I mean, three, you know, six hands, still a lot of hands. Hi, thanks for having me, even though like it's been one of the most stressful days ever. But hey, it's 2020, so. If Novak Djokovic taught us anything today, it's how to relieve stress and how not to. So Novak Djokovic, let's bring you back to, to this afternoon on Arthur Ashe Stadium. Novak Djokovic is in a match against Pablo Carreño Busta. I believe he was leading 5-4 in serve four. No, he was, yes, okay, anyway. Yes, he had set points at 5-4 and then two set points and then lost 9 out of 10 Great. points in a row. Pablo was down the 40 and then he saved the three break points. And that's why Novak was getting mad, no? Exactly. And then, and then Novak, and then in the 5-5 game, uh, after two points, Novak fell, got the treatment, got broken for 6-5. Yes, yeah, so Novak gets broken for 6-5 and as he's walking to his chair... He hits a ball that he had left in his pocket or something behind him. Did not crush this ball as hard as he could, but nor did he hit it gently. It was a medium pace Djokovic ball, a rally ball, if you will. And unfortunately, the rally went right into the throat <laughs> or neck of a lineswoman in the back of the court who sort of gulped and collapsed to the ground and was making several distressed sounds as she lay on the ground. Game Some good wheels oh! up to the short ball. Yeah, we've got a serious situation on our hands here. You could... Would he hit that kind of hard, too? Novak had a look on his face, like, as soon as he turned around and saw this, that he knew he was in trouble. And indeed, uh, chair empire Orly Tort, was on the, on, was, who's a nurse, as Victoria Yeah, she's a nurse. Point out. So... This woman you want on the job for any on-site injuries. Rushes over to the woman's aid. The, eventually, the officials come out, Soren Freemill and Andres Egli. And after a lot of debate, and then after that debate, they eventually rule that Novak is going to be defaulted from the match, which seemed inevitable from the rule. Once everyone, once you saw the replays and realized what happened, it seemed pretty cut and dry, but still it's a major moment to be defaulting anyone. This doesn't happen much for anybody, people who don't follow tennis much. There are not defaults like this in tournaments normally at all. Maybe you get one every few years. So to happen- well, and, it, and it's not that there aren't these defaults because it doesn't get called. It's that there aren't these defaults because generally this does not happen. Like this is a very, rare occurrence and and you know i think that adds to the shock value of it. it like so it wasn't like people were like oh my goodness i can't believe that he got called for that it's like oh my goodness that happened like he actually made flush contact with a lines person with a tennis ball rut row yeah exactly it's not like it's a complicated situation it's just a really rare one 
right? It's the people don't hit the lines women or men or non-binary lines people with balls in the throat very often, right? This is not something that happens much on tour. And so once that, once you realize what's happened, it's actually pretty cut and dry. But as Novak is sort of pleading, you can tell like, this takes a guy who's super prohibitive favorite of the title. We cannot really overstate that super, super clear favorite in yep. the fourth round to win this men's tournament. Takes him out. Reem, what was your first reaction when you realized what, what was happening on court? Honestly, I was panicking. I don't know why I was literally panicking. Because, not just because I'm like working for wires and I have to write immediately and stuff, but I was like, oh my God. Because they kept talking, like deliberating the decision for about 16 minutes. Wow, that long. It was not short. But the whole time there was replays of the incident, right? And every time, first of all, I'm looking at this woman who collapses and gasps, you know, from the hit. So I was kind of worried about her. Then I was worried that there were so many people unmasked around her. Then mm, I was yeah. worried, like, honestly, I, so many things were going through my mind. But I was like, he has, he has to get defaulted. That was my initial reaction. It's a straight default. But then I kept thinking, but he's Novak Djokovic and he's world number one and maybe they're going to give him a pass. But then when, the longer the, the conversation was happening, I felt that it was definitely going to be a default, whereas maybe someone yeah. else would have felt like, no, the longer it goes. What, what, what do you think? I think their decision made it been made up pretty quickly and they were just sort of and they were letting Novak have his say to plead his case. But I think their minds were made up. I just the way we talk about it, Courtney, like this is a pretty cut and dry Again, yeah. it's not a page of the rule book we turn to very often, but when you get there, the language is pretty clear. Yes, there is a judgment call. Had he had he hit this ball and it had just like glanced off her shoe and she was fine, no issue. But when you hit the ball, it hits the person flush in a sensitive part of their body, like the neck, and they're on the ground gasping for air for several minutes, I think, and just clearly distressed. Yeah. So that's something. Yeah, no, the optics of it were, I mean, if you want to even just set aside what the rule book says, because we know in tennis sometimes... <laughs> What the rule book said is isn't always what is applied or what people think it should say, yada, yada, yada. And it ends up being this whole policy type discussion of what the rules should be after yeah. one of these instances happened, which is very frustrating. But even if you set that aside of what the rule is or is not or what if there's a gray area, all of that I could think of just to was that, you know, just two years ago, you had Serena on that court talking about how men and women are treated differently. She, her, now, what she was saying was in a completely different context, you know, in terms of how arguments with the umpire are perceived and, you know, things like that. There was a lot of other things going on. But if you just take the nugget of it and say, like, women and men are treated differently, black women, white men treated differently, from that perspective, while, and I'm thinking this as ESPN and obviously, like you said, like on court, the umpire and the referees couldn't watch replay. This is all based off of like what everybody saw. There is no option in the rule book to go for video replay. But ESPN is showing this from like eight different angles. And they're showing, you know, the mics are picking up, like Reem said, you know, the, the umpire gasping for air and just everything looked real bad. Like all the video angles. I'm like, there's absolutely no way like that he that... Plus, what the UST has gone through the last few events at the U.S. Open with umpire controversies and things like that, and with the tenor of everything in the States right now, I just, and I'm sorry if that stuff shouldn't be in part of the whole discussion, you know, it should be just based off of the rules, but just the whole circumstance of everything, I just was like, there's absolutely no way that he, that he can't be DQ'd, like he, he had to be. And, you know, and like I said, bottom line is letter of the law, he should be 
But when we started to think about, but he's world number one, and Novak sounded like he kind of made a little bit of that argument as well. Like, you yep. know, this is my grand slam. This is number 18. Like, you know, that sort of thing. Paraphrasing. That's not exactly what he said. But letter of the law, this was the result that had to happen. And I do think it's non, non-accidental that it happened to Novak. Because as Novak, I'm going to play the clip here of him at the World Tour Finals a few years ago. Novak has made a habit of acting recklessly, recklessly on the court with his equipment, with the ball, with his racket. There was an incident at the French Open 2016 where he threw his racket behind him and a very quick-footed linesman, I believe it was a man, had to step out of the way of it. Did so very gracefully, but had to kind of get out of the way of this flying projectile that was coming for his head. And it was like hit. a scene from The Matrix. He had to kind yeah. of like lean and make sure that thing didn't hit him, but yeah. And so, so that was the moment. And then also this happened other times. And, you know, and Novak's not the only player who does this, but Novak mm-hmm. was especially spirited about feeling like he was being unfairly talked about for doing this at the 20, I believe it was 16 uh, World Tour Finals. I want to play the clip of him here, which has not aged well for him. Novak, just going back to the end of the first set, we saw you similarly venting your frustration at Roland Garros when you threw the racket. Does it concern you that one day... That, that could cost you dearly. I mean, if the ball were to hit someone today, is that something you think you ought to address? <laughs> you guys are unbelievable. Yeah. <laughs> Why is it unbelievable? Yeah, because you're always picking this kind of things. It's, it's well, incredible. You keep doing these things. You know, that's, that's I, I keep doing these things. Well, well, I'm just why, why, why don't I get suspended then? I'm saying you're close, aren't you? That's what I'm, saying. I'm you're close. Like, I'm still not suspended, so if I'm not close, I'm not close. It could have been serious. It could have been, sure. Or it could have snow. It could have been snow in all two arena today, but it didn't. It didn't. So you don't think that gives a, uh, you're not concerned about the, sort of the, your mindset? So I'm the only player that shows his frustration on the court, right? That's what you want to say. That's the, I'm the only player that is showing that. You are showing that. Sorry? You're one of the top-ranked players in the world. So? So, so you are showing this frustration. I'm asking you, do you think it's an issue for you? It is not an issue for me. It's not the first time that I did it. Oh, no. right. Next question, please. Yeah. This all being Novak and coming in this very newsy, busy lightning rod in many different directions year for Novak. What is how does that influence this rather than and then comparing it to if it had been Pablo Carreño Busta who did this on the same court, we wouldn't be having this podcast probably. Look, it's actually extremely unfortunate for him that this happened on yeah. the back of all the stuff that happened during quarantine and in a way I'm I'm kind of wondering if the narrative will eventually shift the same way that the the previous narrative had shifted where this is like there's an agenda against Novak and all that. I haven't seen much of that at the moment. And his apology seemed very sincere and he was taking responsibility. However, it's just on the back of so many things and they've they keep spinning it as if everyone is trying to get Novak. He just keeps doing stuff. And while this yeah. was very and I totally understand this was accidental. I'm sure he feels horrible for many different reasons mm-hmm. for his own his own loss, like you said, number 18 and stuff like that. But also, I'm sure he feels terrible that he almost, like, almost really hurt a woman with his, yeah. or hurt a woman with his ball. Yeah, for sure. So I, I, I just think that this might hit him really hard. But I don't know how long this kind of I'm accepting responsibility mode will last because from what we've seen so far, they always spin it and they're like, this is anti-Novak, anti-Serbia, when it's not the case at all. I think we've been equally mad at, at a lot of people who almost hit an umpire or a line judge or a ball Definitely, kid. Yeah. And I, I remember one that was recent in Dubai, maybe last year or the year before, Benoit Pair, like threw his racket 
And luckily it didn't hit anybody, but it was a very violent throw and close to people. And I remember I asked, because he was playing Roger Federer, I asked Roger Federer after that, like, how dangerous is this? Like, and Roger laughed and he said, I thought it was funny. So this is a general, like when I saw all of this happening, I was like, there's a general feeling among players where as long as we're getting away with it and no one gets hurt, we're fine. They never think of the other side of it. They never think of the Shapovalov incident or other stuff, you know? So, because like you said, it doesn't happen that often. So I think it's that sense of invincibility in their mind. They just don't think. And then they keep, and if that clip you played from the ATP finals in 2016 with Novak, when he said, I, I don't have an issue. I've done this many times before. That's actually not the right thing to say. You should be saying. Yeah. And, and Reem's completely right on that. And I think that, I mean, obviously this is like a thematic thing, I think across the podcast, across tennis over the last minimum six months and probably even longer of just kind of this lack of empathy of this lack of understanding that like, I don't know. I mean, I was quite, surprised I mean it wasn't a lot it was a small smattering but just kind of certain comments about like oh that umpire's fine she didn't get hurt it's like I assure you that line umpire is getting paid peanuts yeah to stand on that court and like bare during, minimum during a pandemic during a pandemic and like and she just got whacked with a tennis ball I don't even care if you know, she's she's what we call like an eggshell plaintiff, like she's susceptible to, you know, more sensitive to 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 something like that or not. But like, I mean, where is the empathy for that person? I mean, she didn't like, you know, it's the same thing. It's the way that players and ex-players who t who always end up in the commentary booth talk about these umpires as though they're 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 just they're chaff they're unnecessary they're pain in the butt like they don't talk about that with the ball kids because they're kids oh heaven forbid that i talk about a child that way but when it comes to the the other people that are on the court i don't know there's just this tenor that i feel like these players use when they kind of disrespect the people around the court that 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 really does bother me and maybe fine i'm sensitive about it but i just i don't think that that lady is getting paid enough to stand there and get a ball thwacked at her, at thwacked at her neck. I just, I just I, don't. I fully agree with that. It does definitely go to the larger conversations about lack of empathy among tennis players, self-centeredness among tennis players, selfishness among tennis players. There's a wonderful vine, which I would insert here, but it's kind of like really shrill and high-pitched. Maybe I will, maybe I won't. With this kid shouting, when will you learn? When will you learn that your actions have consequences? <laughs> and... That's kind of, again, what I keep thinking with players, and again, especially with Novak. I tweeted this, you know, a few minutes after the default, but, like, Novak's whole year is thinking that he can do whatever he wants and be fine, whether it's all the way from starting with uh, the water boy, you know, it's talking about changing water with your with your mind and hawking ridiculous supplements to vulnerable global people to playing Adria during the middle of a pandemic and having there be a super spreader event in a country that otherwise been doing well, which they completely disregarded and Novak and his fans hiding behind this defense of, Oh, but the intentions were so good. I only had the best intentions as if that's what matters. It is not folks. It is not. I used the example on one, I forget if it was a podcast or interviewed or something. If you're on your way to, you know, drive to donate clothes, but you run over a, a child on a bicycle on your way there, the intention of the trip doesn't really matter in the end. What matters is that you hit the kid with your bike, right? Again, I just hope that that for Novak this is a moment, and he did say this in his statement, in his 
apology. Let me actually read his apology here because I think this was... his apology is really good. I thought. Good. I thought that yeah, it was, was pretty good. It was it was straight yeah. up. You know, he it, he bailed yeah. on press, but it was. I thought yeah. the apology was good. We'll get to that bailing in a second. But here's the apology. He said on Instagram. He said this whole situation has left me really sad and empty. I checked on the lines person, and the tournament told me that thank God she is feeling okay. I'm extremely sorry to have caused her such stress. So unintended. So wrong. I'm not disclosing her name to respect her privacy. Sidebar. Okay. As for the disqualification, I need to go back within and work on my disappointment and turn all this into a lesson for my growth and evolution as a player and human being. I apologize to the US Open tournament and everyone associated for my behavior. I'm very grateful to my team and my family for being my rock support and my fans for always being there with me. Thank you. And I'm so sorry. Yeah, I, I agree. I thought the apology, and it's, I feel like so much of modern discourse is like evaluating apologies. And I think that was a pretty good one. Yeah, no, I, I think that was a good one. I think he owned up to it, you know. So that was great um, to see because it could have gotten uglier had that not been the tenor of things. And I do hope that he kind of takes stock in it. And I don't know how, I'm not a Novak expert, so I don't really have an insight in how he thinks or how he's, I don't I don't know how he will process something like this, but hopefully it it doesn't, the circumstances of this incident hopefully don't have him reacting as though it's like everybody's against me again. Like kind of coming back yeah. out like at Roland Garros or something or Rome, like with a chip on his shoulder, like I'm going to prove you all. And it's like, no, but you 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 hit the lines, lady, man. Like, like yeah. no one's coming after you. Nobody wanted you not You're to not be a here. Victim. Yeah. Like, I mean, seriously, like I have to now look at the men's draw. I hadn't really looked at it because I just assumed that like Novak was going to win outside of our draw show. I was like, oh my God, Novak's, I just, yeah. So it was, I'm so, already it was annoyed. such a foregone conclusion. <laughs> Reem, your, your thoughts on on the, you know, what where Novak goes from here, his apology and everything like that. I kind of don't see it the way you see it at that it's like a, a long stretch of things. I With this specific case, it's something that happened on the court. It's something that he was judged by on the court and was punished on the court. And I see it as like what the, the tournament referee was on ESPN a while ago and he was saying we would have made that exact same call irrespective of who that person was. Oh, for sure, was. for sure. Yeah, and, and I think that Novak knows that. I think even if the footage that you see of Goran Ivanizovic, his coach, he even knew it from the first second when you look at his face. Like, I don't, I, I, I think I see it as an, like an isolated event compared to the stuff that happened during quarantine. But knowing Novak, the thing that fuels him in general whenever he's down, this is what he is, right? Like he, he, what fuels him is always trying to prove people wrong or trying to have, like he uses that chip on his shoulder to perform better. And I think that the, even if, whether he believes or not that there was any wrongdoing, he's going to feel that this is what I'm going to use to get back on court and be okay, I think. That's speculation, no, obviously. Yeah. Novak has so much fire in him at all times. And usually it's at a simmer. And there, there's always this rage inside of him and this fire in him. And this mm -hmm. time, yeah, it was sort of a, a sun flare that shot out and hit a lion's person. And you don't want to see that because uh, your throat got pretty cooked by that. But, you know, yeah, it, it's a it's a moment that's, yeah, I, I agree with you, Reem, in that it's, I wasn't trying to say this is like yet another moment of debatability for Novak. I'm just saying it's more of a hubris careless reckless side of him that we're seeing that's where i think it fits in is that just it's his personality to not be conscientious about other people and consequences as uh, much well as could i be. think i i see what you're saying ben i also do think though that 
when it comes to Novak on court, like separate, not that we need to separate on court and off court, but just focusing on on court. I think that like Novak, he has he is one of those players that can play angry, right? That that yeah. anger becomes a part of kind of how he how he plays, and when he hits certain levels of that, like when he's in his, what in the red whether it's a prolonged red or just a flash of red i do think that like his on-court behavior has proven he has a proven track record of kind of in that moment having tunnel vision like he doesn't mm. see anything else whether it's smashing uh you know the perrier uh bench you know yeah. um at Roland Garros at or something kid. yelling at a ball kid getting caught in these little moments there are just moments where he isn't really mm. aware of everything that's going on around him which he's not the only player that does that there are many players that play like this yeah unfortunately for him he is compared to two other players who don't play that way for the most mm. part right mm. and so it becomes a really really stark difference but it's it's actually very common on tour but i think that that's a, that's the thing that i see in terms of his on-court incidents of where that i've seen and I, i'm not a novak um Encyclopedist, yeah. Well, I, yeah. I I haven't watched every single Novak. You don't, match, ha you don't sure. have Novak spreadsheets like some people. No, no, my spreadsheets are reserved for other players. But um, yeah. So I I don't know. I I get why what happened happened, and maybe that's I don't know. Maybe that's what Novak takes out of it is that he also it, it could be that is that a reckoning of his own controlling his emotions on the court and like oh crap like i let it go too far i don't know like i'm not uh, yeah i'm just not sure that he takes this and goes forward being like the world is against me again this specific mm. incident we'll see, we'll uh, the, see. the pile on maybe if there's a pile on his fans yeah. might do that too and god knows his fans yeah. are their own beast well for sure can but i'm saying from him like it he, anyway go Reem. yeah can i also say that because i've w watched all his matches this past week and because there's no fans, he has been so angry uh, during matches, even when he's cruising, it, because that's how he has been getting the energy that he usually gets from the crowd. This is how he's been getting the energy. And mm -hmm. I have, he has been noticeably angry at, at various points he's in various matches. Yeah, like he, there was so much, you know, like when he's, scream so much after finally holding after saving a couple of break points or doing that like again he's been cruising like he just dropped a set to Edmund and that was it but like in general I'd the be other matches too. yeah <laughs> but like the other matches were like one four and one and three three and one and stuff like that but he he's definitely been angry and I and I and I noticed that when I was thinking about it it was like he's been doing that a lot because in an empty stadium he felt like he needed to do that and maybe that contributed to the whole situation as well. I mean, he, it was first set. He lost one break. It wasn't that big of a deal. But add to that the fact that he fell uh, and he had needed treatments for his shoulder. He probably was scared. I don't know. I think there's so many things that made him not really think. It was not a pretty fall that he took on his left shoulder, which I know had been bothering him at some points recently. So two questions left for you in this conversation one short one and then one longer one the short one is do we care that he didn't come to press i personally don't i think this statement serves basically our purpose i don't know what questions he would have meaningfully answered but a lot mm. of the commentary on tv was really ripping him for not coming to press for not sort mm. of facing the music owning up to this what do we think about novak uh getting in the car and driving away after being defaulted which is a historic moment i pers i personally don't care honestly yeah. i knew there was gonna be a statement right away I don't find any use of asking the same question in 16 different ways. 
you know, like, and I also understand this is a huge deal for him. Like, the, I, I'm not belittling what happened to him. Like, it, it, it was his doing, but at the same time, it's also, like, very bad luck. Like, oh, Sasha yeah. Zvedev said it in his press conference. Like, he said that if he had, if that ball had gone inches away from there, then he would have been fine. For sure. So, so I, I don't, I honestly don't care. I'm very surprised that how a lot of people are saying, oh my God, he's world number one. He should do better. I have to say that I find Novak as someone who's a very good loser in general. He's one of yeah. the best players 100%. in press conferences after a loss. Honestly, Agreed. he would go into detail about where he went wrong, all of that. Oh, he's gracious, all of these things. So he stands out to me as a very good loser. And that's okay. why I cut him slack in this situation. And I'm, I mean, for me, like, I'm just very much of the opinion. And this is terrible because this is my job and what I'm supposed to do. But I th I'm perfectly fine with players taking the fine. Like, it, like we talk about this all the time, Ben. Like, the fine I'm is so stunned. low. <laughs> I mean, the, the fine is really low for when you, when it's like what like I don't know what is it max twenty grand and yes that's a heck of a lot of money but for but Novak it's almost always like in 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 practice way lower than that it's usually like four yeah. when it's but even if it's max twenty it's, it's half it's, of what he paid for his house or even less yeah so, so yeah. I don't know like I you know to and yeah and it's I think it's a really really tough situation for him I understand the frustration I mean and we have seen in instances like I was kind of joking in my own head to myself of like people being like, he should like, people were like, Oh, he should man up and go to press or, Oh, he should cowboy up and go to press. And I was like, he should Serena up and go to press. Like Serena has had to like walk in there and have to answer for like, you know, absolute heartbreak, um, it, you know, here in New York, like, you know, three or four times and she doesn't want to do it. I know that for a fact, but she comes and does it. But at the same time, like, that's great. That's like a huge credit to Serena. It's not a knock on Novak. Like, Dude, if you ain't if you ain't if you got nothing to say that's gonna be helpful, like just just go. It's fine. This reminds me one quick thing before I get to my last final question, Reem. You were in Sasha's press. Can you describe his reaction to this news? Was he in there when he found out, or how did this happen? He found out right before he walked in, and then the first question I I I went into the room like a few seconds into the first question. So he was like very sympathetic with Novak, but also shocked. Like he was gen he kept saying like, I'm at a loss for words because I am shocked. Um, but then, but then after that, he was asked a follow up uh, about like what that means basically for him. And he immediately was like, this gets really interesting. <laughs> Obviously not in exactly that same tone, but if, if essentially that's what he was saying. And then he was like, I know exactly where everyone is in the draw. I know who's playing who. It's like in his mind, he thinks he knows who's the favorite, like what's happening. And you could see it in his eye. Even though he had a mask on, I have to say it was a little bit smug, his expression in general, <laughs> like just the tone. Even though like when I saw the video again, I was like, I didn't even realize that he had a mask on. Uh, because that is some good smizing right there. If you wow, <laughs> I, I, honestly, wow. <laughs> because I was—he just sounded a little bit smug about it. Not that he's happy at all that that happened to Nova, because that's not what he said. But when he was like, "Now it gets really interesting," he said that twice. And then he—and the funny part also for me was when he said, "Well, the younger guys are gonna win." And then he said, "Well, if you consider, if you still consider Dominic Team young." <laughs> Fair <laughs> shape, which is very fair. Um, so, so, so this gets this gets me to my next question next, which is about the tournament going forward. Obviously, I'm not you say Sasha's not happy what happened, 
I'm sure Sasha is fine with Novak not being in the tournament anymore. Let me put it that way. So we come. Yeah, he's in his half. So yeah. Yeah, exactly. He was in. Yeah, he's in his half. So Sasha is now suddenly, um, you know, after being in a pretty easy semi, is now in an easy half suddenly, or not? I mean, like golf fan is still in there, but this draw got it's it completely changed equilibrium. This draw for the purpose, and I'm going to talk about that more in the next section with uh, with Alex Gruskin. But I want to talk just one relatively quick asterisk kind of question, right? Knowing that this guy was the beyond prohibitive favorite to win this tournament, and he completely seppukud and took himself out. How do we look now at whoever wins this U.S. Open? Like, is this going to be something that's going to be a winner was this? Yeah, but Novak, no matter who it is. I think it I think it probably will be, at least short term memory wise. I think it kind of has nope. to be. No asterisk. No? Nope. Explain. Because stuff happens <laughs> at, at, at tournaments that are crazy and weird and wild and, you know... I, I just I don't think that you asterisk it for that reason. I mean, that like, yes, everybody can remember that that happened in the same way that when we think back and we think like, you know, Kim uh, here at the U.S. Open. Well, there was the footfall and then it was like Naomi. Well, there was, you know, like. But those those are so different, though, because those were like matches they were already winning and they were like late round matches. This is like the but last the, big, the lo- only big three guy who came up here was not losing or he was like on serve or whatever you know he was going to win that match otherwise but you talk to think. a lot of people and 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 a lot of people were like that man that match ain't over until it's over like mm-hmm. those you know those incidences and the but the result is not asterisked kim's yeah. win is not an asterisk naomi is not an asterisk bianca is not an asterisk right like none of these well not bianca but like you know yeah. um sam stozer not an asterisk Sure. Their wins and everything that happened in the events of the tournament that led to that person winning is the story of the tournament. It's not an asterisk. It's okay. the context of what happened in that event. Okay. Asterisk versus context. I'm Maybe that's a distinction that I'm not making as much. I just think this is like the context is so clear. Like whoever won this slam will have done it without having to beat a big three guy because two of them didn't show up and one of them... <laughs> Uh, you know, did his thing and got defaulted in the first set of the fourth. Sure, people can roll their eyes at it, but that's d- very okay. different than saying that, like, the record books should have an asterisk on it or, like, yeah. that it's yeah. any... You I'm know. not for any sort of official. I'm just talking purely bar stool. I hate that term now, but, you know... Yikes! Pu- purely, you know what I mean? Like, purely, like, dinner table conversation. Like, bar chat. Yeah, it's yeah. a bar chat thing, but it's not something that, you know, like, which win means more or what's one of the more impressive, what's the least impressive run to a slam. Like, you know, like, those are the things that we all eat cocktail peanuts and talk about, but we don't, like, it's not an official thing. The, the same way we talked about, like, when Amelie won the Australian Open in 2006 and got, like, a bunch of walkovers, and including in the final, she got a retirement, or got a bunch of retirements, I mean. I don't think any actual walkovers. And then we were all really happy when she got the completely clean Wimbledon win over Ennin Arden in the final. Yeah. Anyway, Reem, what are your thoughts on this to wrap us up? I I think that the way I look at it is right now, it's with, with the rest of the field, it's like the Hunger Games, okay? Like, it's oh, like... Yeah. Oh, Every single one of them, genuinely every single one of them can win this tournament, right? And whoever, I know. And whoever wins it is going to be the person who really is like mentally the strongest, like the person who didn't blow it, you know? And I think that when I look back at like when Marin Cilic played 
Kay Nishikori in the final. And look how Marin played and was so sure of himself. And, and Kay yeah. was terrible. Like, Kay bombed badly. And, and then I was watching, I was like, look at Marin. He got the opportunity, you know, like, he, 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 he went for it. And I think that it's going to be the case here. I'm not saying it's the same thing because obviously Marin beat top three, big three guys and whatever. But I'm saying that it's, it's one of those things where, yes, there's a little bit of an asterisk only because Novak was there and then he left and his match was still in the first set, etc. He was down a break, but anyway. But it's just that whoever pulls it off, you guys, can you imagine with all of them ranked so closely and all of them really hungry for it? Yeah. I mean, for me, if a Medvedev or a team who are the favorites at this point, if they win, this is going to be huge because they're expected to win, you know? And if it's one of the other guys who's lower ranks, you're going to think, oh my God, like Pablo Carreño Busta was given an opportunity and won it. Can I just okay, say... I saw Kourini's face. Pablo Carreño Busta, <laughs> I got some crap from people, Spanish and otherwise, for when he won his third round match against Barrancas, being like <laughs> Pablo Carreño Busta, who made us semi-finalists in 2017, like parentheses, like, yeah, that happened, was, you know, into the fourth round. People were like, oh, so offended, Pablo Carreño Busta's half if he wins this tournament like mm. it's not well, going to improve the conversation the, for him but good for no actually that's not true but like i'm happy for him he's a nice guy i mean this is the thing i mean when we when we go back and we we think back on other uh slam runs right like so much of it goes towards the person themselves like whether or not we perceive them to quote unquote deserve it mm -hmm. uh and how they performed during the event Right. So, you know, like if, for example, Marion Bartoli goes out there and yeah, OK, she doesn't play like a top 15, top 20 player, but she wins the whole thing. But my recollection of it, the whole thing was she played amazing throughout that two weeks and was crushing winners left and right. OK, sure. Yeah. Right. I think that it's when maybe when you start to doubt it, when you when it, if if everything were to fall apart. Right. Like what if all these guys came into this tournament thinking I'm playing for second place and now all of a sudden it's no, you're actually playing for a major title. And what if everything combusts and everybody starts choking left and right? Um, sorry, men don't choke. What if the men don't start playing as well as they would be expected to play in pressure moments? Yeah. And it starts to get ugly. Then you start to get in a situation where you're like, okay, well, what's going on here, right? Because everything's kind of just falling apart. But um, I don't think that that's going to happen. I, I mean, I think that, yeah, whoever wins, totally legit champ because they didn't, hit a line umpire with the ball no, like, sometimes the bar that's gets a challenge lowered. too and that's very well put you have to somebody would have to win seven matches somebody's going to do that we think reem courtney thank you for being here thank you for having us booyah booyah <laughs> weird i'm very excited to welcome the no challenges remaining alex gruskin of the website cracked rackets i've been on your podcast many times Crack Rackets has so many verticals, so many different threads. You may have seen Alex on, on Twitter. You may have thought it was a podcast. His handle, Great Shot Pod. It <laughs> doesn't make you think there's a human back there, but there is. Alex, very happy to have you on NCR. It's been a long time in the making, uh, reciprocating all your hospitality on your show. So glad you could be here. Well, it is my pleasure. I'll start by saying, of course, go blue. And I will also say, Ben, some people with their intros, they're a little bit passive, right? They stand a little bit too far back, maybe away from the mic, or they don't go for it for their, you know, their intros. But I think you're perfectly aggressive with your intro. I think oh. you use it as a weapon. And I wish more people would use the intro as a weapon the way you do. That is a deep Dominic team reference for those of you not following at home. That's good stuff. See, see, he's plugged into the into the social media of beefs of the week. Uh, he's plugged into the defs of the week as well with with mm -hmm. Novak Djokovic getting defaulted, defed as the kids say. He he, he informs me. 
so we were I was gonna have you on today before this stuff happened to talk about this super young men's straw that is unfolded here at the US Open. Before when in this fourth round there's only two guys over thirty, Vashik Pospisil and Novak Djokovic, coincidentally the co presidents of the PTPA, also known as PTPA. And <laughs> the, one of them is gone today, and it's Novak Djokovic because he got defaulted, which means we're going to have for the first time in six years a new Grand Slam champion on the men's side. We're going to have a youngest champion in a long time. Marin Chilich will no longer be the youngest man to hold a Grand Slam title, which is something he's held for way too long. You're obviously a next-gen reporter of kinds. You're, you're, you're <laughs> younger. Uh, I do I do feel like if I was, you know, eight, ten years younger, I would be you or, or somebody in the crack rackets field for sure. I would, that would absolutely be where I would have landed. But I, yeah, what do you make of this moment where finally your generation is going to win something for once? Oh, it's absolutely delightful, and I must not be on that email chain as well. I thought we agreed we were going to go with the YMCA theme song, you know, from the bar mitzvah circuit that stuck with me for the PTPA. I thought we were going to say, it's fun to be on the PTPA, but I guess we're not doing that. There's room for that. There's room for that. Yeah, we'll we'll negotiate later, but, you know, in terms of you look at this moment, and there's a poetry to it, right? Because for so long, the generation before, you know, you have your Milos Raonic theory, which I I have stolen many a times, and it seems like that theory is not going to become true simply because the generation older than them has outlasted them, outlasted them, and now we see this young generation nipping at their heels. And you know, these past two years there have been little signs, whether it was Zverev winning the year-end finals, Tsitsipas winning the year-end finals, Medvedev, what he doing what he did last summer. But it's also fitting because, you know, they've never gotten over the hump at the Grand Slams, and for so long it's been, can they do it? And no, they can't. As long as the big three are around, they're not going to be able to. So, of course, in 2020, not only do you have no Rafa, no Federer, but you have Djokovic eliminated in this fashion. And now, you know, not rather than get into the asterisk conversation, there will just always be people who say, yeah, but the way they broke through, it's just so fishy. And that just always, like, isn't it fitting that Alex Zverev, if he wins this title, that this is how it happens? Like, it just feels like that was written in the stars. Well, okay, let, let's get into that. So do you think as an advocate for, I mean, I've been on your show a lot of times, ranking, putting guys in like five different tiers. You love sorting, sorting the next geners, <laughs> which I'm always happy to put, you know, Riley Opelka in some surprisingly high tiers, kind of my signature move. We've talked on your show, I know, about when the transition happened, right? Would it be a torch pass or would the torch get placed gently on the ground? And someone would just pick it up because no one else was holding it. We got something closer to the ladder for sure, where Novak Djokovic hit the torch at a medium speed and it hit somebody in the neck and then it's on the <laughs> ground. That's the moment we have now. None of these guys get to get to have the real torch pass Naomi Osaka, Bianca Andrescu moment of beating someone like a Serena in a grand semifinal to take that, you know, really grab that. Um, again, I don't want to mention the throat again, but grab that, you know, in a good way. And it's an assertive way. That's really like a moment, right? Instead, we get this slam, which two of the big three didn't show up. Andy Murray and Marin Cilic were in this, but they weren't really anywhere near their peaks. They weren't really factors in this tournament. Although Cilic did have a good comeback against Dennis Kudla. And then Djokovic gets him, is who's prohibited, prohibited favorite. is playing well and has a rough five minutes, in, which include falling down, maybe hurting himself and then smacking a ball in anger. And then he's out. So I don't know. I just feel like it's going to we And again, this is, I feel like it's such a testament to what modern men's tennis has been because there have been plenty of these kind of tournaments before in the past. You look at like 04 French Open, but Gaudio won that. That draw really imploded a lot. Uh, Coria was still in the final. He was a good contender, but a lot of French Opens in that era and some other ones too. You know, there was opportunity in, in room. And I think this is the first time 
having anything like that in men's tennis in such a long time. And on the one hand, it's a little bit disappointing that we don't get the climactic thing. But on the other hand, it's really exciting because now all of a sudden, all these guys who didn't have reason to believe, really, suddenly they look around the room and say, wow, one of us is going to do this. Why not me? Yeah, and to that I would say, you know, I'll try and keep my points here uh, organized. The first thing is, you know, there's this old adage from your generation that's been passed down to another generation and then passed down to my generation, and it's, you know, father time or mother time is undefeated. You're never going to beat mother nature. And for a while it felt like the big three, and they still might. The fact that Nadal, Djokovic, Federer are playing this well at this stage of their career, uh, we it was true. Mother nature is undefeated, whether it be a global pandemic, mm-hmm. whether it be a a knee injury, whether it be a fluke scenario like this. Again, it's I kind of like the fact that the next-gen guys are now robbed of the excuse of, well, I just kind of came up short against Djokovic. I kind of came up short against Nadal or Federer, and that was always an excuse, a way out of not getting over the hump, and that's been taken away. Now one of these guys has to step up, and, you know, again, I'm plugged into tennis Twitter far too often, but you get a lot of slack because you said Pablo Carreno Busta, who, in case you forgot, made a U.S. Open semifinal, and it's like, hey, it's justifiable to point out to people that they might have forgotten that do you remember what happened in february of this year i don't and so like it's fair to do that but you know the fact that if he comes out of this with the title or pospisil comes out with this with the title that would be shocking but it should be one of these next-gen guys stepping up, taking their moment. And now it's at a point with Shapovalov winning tonight. I tweeted out this stat. You know, 10 of those next-gen guys have now reached a quarterfinal at a major. And it's, you know, some of the obvious ones. Zverev, Medvedev, Tsitsipas, Berrettini, Rublev. You have guys like Tiafo who has done it now uh, uh, once. You have uh, Hyun Chung, who obviously made the semifinals. You mm-hmm. have a couple of others as well, Kyle I believe. Edmund, yeah, I guess, uh, counts in there. Uh, uh, Kyle Edmund, I think, is a 95-er. That's my generation. And, you know, I'm here. I'm the now gen Ben. Um, But yeah, no, Chorich, that's the one I forgot. Chorich is another one who did it, obviously, today for the first time. Uh, And, you know, Rublev's done it. And so it does feel like it's been a slow burn. And what's so amazing is these next-gen guys have taken advantage of this moment. Yeah, there's none of those, you know, Nadal, Federer, no Monfils, no Wawrinka, no Fodini. And the draw opened up for these players, and for the first time, they won the matches they were supposed to. You know, for Zverev, yeah, he dropped a set to Anderson, but it was just a set. He dropped a set to Nakashima and Manorino, but it was just a set. Like, these guys have slowly been building their way up, and I just think now, yeah, again, it sucks that we don't get that climatic match uh, moment had Medvedev beaten Nadal in the fifth set last year that would have been a coronation that would have been it after been a it. summer of yeah. success we missed that opportunity that yeah. sucks but I'm a glass half full type of guy and uh, I I hate cliches by the way I've gone with six of them here early on um, <laughs> but you know I abhor the cliche um, but still it's it's hard to under these circumstances you're right less than ideal but still exciting that we finally get to see one of these guys step up, and that's what they're going to have to do, step up, which is what's so uh, exciting to see. So let's go through the guys who are the you know shortlist contenders here in sort of ranking order. We'll start at the bottom of the draw, number two, Dominic Team. We're recording this on Sunday evening, so the guys in the bottom half haven't played their fourth round yet. The guys in the top half have. Team number two has Can made Can I just quickly grand... say, yeah, you said it's Sunday evening. I forgot it was Sunday. Legitimately, I was yeah, like, I was like, tough. it's fourth round. And I was like, oh, yeah, it's Sunday still. That's crazy. Yeah. Uh, so, team, I only know what day of the week it is based on what crossword I do that day. But so, <laughs> team is number two seed. He's playing Ojeal Asim yet. He's the high seed. 
he just made Australian Open final, five set final. I mean, I think that 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 Djokovic played really bad in that final, and you know, did a lot to have to hang on. I don't think Team was amazing in that final per se, but now Team is you know on paper by just lazy seed paper, is the guy to be expected to win this. His draw is not bad. OJ Aliasim next, and then possibly or Demon are to make semis, and then you could get Medvedev. Um, let's start with Team. Do you think Team is ready to win this tournament from with his you know? Uh, heels in, in Bayonne style of returning? <laughs> well, uh, again, it's a, it's a good point. If you ask Brett Haber, he was really effective. But, um, you know, <laughs> sorry, I can't help myself. Look. We put that it, behind us. You know, we put that behind yeah. us. We've, we've, we've blocked. We've moved on. It's all good. Yeah, all no. Good. Yeah, uh, on to the next one. Absolutely. Just like Pablo Carreno Busta. Yeah, I would say if when you're looking at this from the bottom half of the draw, if you're Dominic team, this is a must win for him. This is, not, you know, Felix Ogiralia seemed really good. These courts playing quick. His serve, his forehand weapons. And for team, he hasn't really been tested yet. T- uh, you know, Munar, fairly easy round one. I think it was O'Connell round two. And then, uh, or I, I don't remember. It, it was Nagal. Nagal. Uh, Nagal, thank you. Yeah. Nagal round two. And then it, I think it was Medvedev who Chilich, played O'Connor. Chilich, yeah, and then yeah, Chilich yeah. round three. And yeah, Chilich stole a set, which to me is concerning because like, a guy who goes five sets with Dennis Kudla, respectfully, I love Dennis Kudla, but like that's got to be a straight set win. Fast courts for Kudla, though. those were they were gonna be so good. I was so I was so ready for Kudla on these. Yeah, courts. and I love Dennis Kudla. That was an unnecessary. I'm sorry, Dennis. That was an unnecessary shot. Um. Anyways. This is a moment. Finalist at the Australian Open this year. Winner of Indian Wells last year. Those courts are slower than this one. But Felix mm-hmm. Ogier Aliasim hasn't been here before. And Dominic Team is, you know, I think the only guy left in the draw other than Medvedev who's made a Grand Slam final. This has right. to be a moment for him. And yet, I do not think he is the favorite. I think if you're Daniil Medvedev, right, or, yes. you know, you just look That's- at him on the bottom half in particular. And it's a gauntlet for Medvedev because, yeah, Tiafo, that's an ideal opponent, but whoever wins of Berrettini Rublev, that's a battle. And then you get a team, or maybe a demon now, or a, a hot serving Pospisil and FAA, whoever it may be, that's a battle. And then you have to get to the top half. You know, that's just to get to the final. It's tough, but he's been there before. Three out of five sets is perfect for him. Uh, he's the guy for me in the bottom half. I agree. I mean, I wrote about Daniil for the Times early in the tournament just because I thought he was the guy to watch in the bottom half. I thought he was pretty clear favorite. Team obviously lost really badly in Cincinnati, so I didn't have high hopes for him. And in the U.S. Open section of this New York stint, he's done okay. He hasn't really been tested per se. I mean, yeah, the te- Chilich in four is a solid enough win. Like, that's fine. Former champ beating in four sets, like, okay, reasonable enough. Um, yeah, I like Medvedev here. I think Medvedev is the one who really has the U.S. hardcore bona fides. He is last year's finalist, Cincy champ last year, Shanghai champ last year, Washington finalist, Canada finalist. Like, you know, his start of 2020 wasn't amazing. I mean, his Australian Open, he lost to uh, Favrinka, and I'm actually shouldn't have really lost in the fourth round. I, I got to think I like Medvedev to win this tournament. He's my I think he's the Osmaker's favorite now, and he's my pick too, although you're right, that, that Rublev-Berrettini match, which was a quarterfinal last year, I believe, at the U.S. Open, mm-hmm. that's, a, that's a loaded fourth round, and so whoever comes out of there maybe could be bruised up a bit by that, although Medvedev has owned Rublev, I feel like, historically. At least mm-hmm. in Cincinnati last year they played, I know, and, and, and Medvedev and- took him apart. 
Yeah, and I mean, you know, it, it's just a tough one for Berrettini beat Rublev last year, right, at this U.S. Mm-hmm. Open. So he's been there before. And, you know, it's funny. You asked me to uh, speak to my generation in this one. Nowadays, people who lift, there's two types of lifting, right? They're, you want to either lift to get lean or you want to lift to get swole, which means bulky or cut. Matteo Berrettini is just lean Milos Raonic. You know, big serve, big forehand. He's slicing the backhand. He's moving, and he's just, he's in the cutting phase of lifting. Again, you're a big lifter, Ben, so you know exactly what I'm talking about all about cutting yeah yeah (laughs) but I'm saying he has that sort of game where he could rip off a streak as well and if these courts are playing as quickly as you know they seem to be I don't hate his game either he's also a bad matchup for Rublev I just think the bottom half is so interesting because all of these young guys are playing pretty well right now and that's why it's a toss-up in fact we're going to talk about Matteo Bertini lifting I cannot not Make a joke about him skipping leg day. I mean, come on. It has to be said. <laughs> Which, anyway, after seeing Milos Raonic's shorts, I know he does not do. Milos doesn't. Yeah. Yeah, definitely not. No, we never thought about Milos. Milos always <laughs> has some legs. All right, so then we get to the top half. Zverev is in here. Zverev, 1-3 uh, against Borna Chorich, who's his uh, quarterfinal opponent. So tr- low-key tricky, maybe. Chorich feeling really good about himself after that Sitsipas escape. You know, Zverev winning this slam, like, I don't love it. It's just just on a story arc perspective because he, but at the same time, maybe it fits. And the thing with Zverev, in his, he's won three uh, Masters titles, right? And he's in the made World Tour finals. And he's done all of them with some pretty big name scalps, right? He's beaten big players in those finals. So him getting a kind of like this kind of vacated slam. He's put in the work he is, the ranking, but there's been such questions about him at slam level, which he's turning around this year. This year, actually, he was really bad off of slam level. I think Tumani Carroll had a stat that he's like 1-5 in five outside of the slams this year and like 9-1 in one in the slams or something so far. You know, maybe these conditions are, are okay for him. I, I just don't I just don't know. Shapovalov I thought looked really good today. I would not rule out Shapovalov. I think he should be a clear favorite against Karenio Busta based on form, even though the head-to-head is not good. And then Shapovalov, I feel like it's just kind of like a better big stage player in some ways than i don't know I, I, it's interesting i i just don't know what to think it's none of them have really proven it mm-hmm. that's the exciting part about this right with the exception of medvedev who came really within you know a real hair of winning that match against Nadal, and Nadal was playing pretty well i don't think any of them have proven they're ready to win a slam yeah and so someone's going to do something that i don't that i didn't think they could do before and it will come with context is what courtney calls asterisks context to it in terms of Djokovic <laughs> and the big three but someone's going to do something that, you know, it's going to change their career, and it's that's interesting. Yeah, just quickly on this, Vera, because you know my, that is the player I watch, and just I see his upside always, and I think to myself, this is the one guy of the next-gen crew who, if he wins the first one, he could rip off 10 in a row, or he could rip, not 10 in a row, but, you know, he could win 10 in 15 majors, and that doesn't seem unrealistic at some point in his career. He has that sort of ta- uh, talent, and th- I'll get to the case, Ben. Give me a second. I I'm, see just, I'm just thinking, okay, hold on. I'm going to stop you right there, though, because I I think that like, okay. I think the big three has screwed up our calibration because ten is an insane number. I know. Like Agassi won eight. Agassi was amazing. McEnroe won seven. McEnroe was great too. Ten is a high number. But answer me this: when he hits a one thirty-seven serve down the tee, or he hits one twenty out wide on the deuce side, which is the hardest serve to hit as a tennis player, flat out wide on the deuce as a righty, that serve to hit it at that speed, you just have to have ridiculous talent. 
I have this theory that I've been kicking around that, uh, and again, I, I apologize, but I, I need to know your thoughts, that every time you watch Alex Virev, there are going to be 10 minutes in the match where you just think to yourself, oh my God, this guy looks like nothing I've ever seen before on the tennis court. And he is one of, in my opinion, two two players. I think it's him and I think it's FAA because you hear the pop on the FAA forehand in person. You're just going to say, what? What was that? Can you do that again for me, please? And then he does, and you're like, oh my God. They're just the two Two players, but Zverev physically six foot six, but filling out his frame can move around the court, is pliable, is flexible, can do a lot of different things with his ground strokes as well. And that backhand, I mean, he hits it down the line, and you're, it's the only time I think about a backhand. Oh my god, that might be better than Djokovic's in the men's game. And I just the things I can say about him when it looks good, I just can't say about anybody else. No, that's fair. No, when I saw, I was there when when Zverev got his breakthrough tournament in Rome. We won Rome as a 16 seed. I think that was in 2017, Mm -hmm. I believe. Rome that he won his first Masters title. And yeah, you know, when you see him at his peak, he does look like kind of like taller, stronger Djokovic. And those are glimpses. They don't last because you also can see him hit 20 double falls to lose to a, you know, a Kryanovic or Tiafa or wherever he's lost those matches too. But, you know, those, the upside is there. And it's just a question of if he can, if he can uh, consolidate it. I think I have no doubt that, these three guys we're talking about now especially if this is you know glimpse of the future because they are all still in their 20s and this term is glimpse of the future that we're going to see slams for medvedev for team Mm -hmm. for zverev i'm not going any crazy double digit number like you are confidently (laughs) but i but i do think that you know they're guys who are going to be in the mix and who have the game Mm -hmm. since the pots i throw in that mix too i think since the pots is absolutely in that conversation even if his major results have not been great in the last six majors or so um, but yeah, it, it's just, it's just going to take some getting used to, you know, and yeah. at least we have time to prepare for it, but it's just going to feel like, uh, cause almost all these guys are guys with the exception of team that we like saw playing, you know, in Milan mm-hmm. once upon a time in some awkward draw ceremony. Like, you know, <laughs> these are all, these are those guys. And it's, it's just one of the, one of these boys is all grown up if you win a slam and mm-hmm. we just haven't had, we have not had this generation pick it up at all. So mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, let me. I'm going to throw one Zverev stat at you quickly that I know you'll enjoy. We talked about the yeah. Medvedev coronation. Zverev 2018, Miami final, Monte Carlo semifinal, Munich title, Madrid Masters title, Rome Masters final, French Open quarterfinal. That that and the Medvedev stretch last summer, those are the two next-gen best stretches. That's why I think it's not surprising that he and Medvedev entered this portion of the slam now as the favorite. And, you know, you look at the record for Zverev against the big four, uh, against his fellow next-geners, excuse me, winning records against everyone except Tsitsipas and Chorich. And yeah, the Chorich matchup will be tough, but Zverev's been the guy for a generation, and I kind of don't like that he is now the favorite at this point. I like him as a dark horse better, but I just think it is his time. I think he's he's slowly built up. You look at his last, you know, sl- I think it's his five slams, fourth round quarterfinals, first round Wimbledon, which we'll ignore, fourth round US Open, semifinals, Australian Open, now quarterfinals here. It was slower than we thought, but it's happening. Who is that Wimbledon match against now? I'm blanking on that. Who uh, I've I, I've blanked it out of my mind. I remember him I being very emo afterwards. I'm yeah, to I'm that. trying to think. I remember. I think it was a big server. If memory serves me correctly, I think it was Vesley. I think it was Vesley. Okay, that sounds plausible. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was the day that that uh, Tsitsipas and Osaka all lost, and they were all yeah, like, super emo impressed. I remember that. I remember, I remember the emo in us more than the actual matches. <laughs> Alex, thank you for being on here. Can you give a quick plug? You had you had a brilliant reporting stroke this uh, this tournament earlier. You had the internal documents from USTA on what their protocols were for the pair eleven and the names and everything. So a lot of valuable scoopage there. Good work to you 
on that. Why should people follow Crack Rackets and you and whatever other many names for your products you have? Mm-hmm. That's, give, that... just, just, give, 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 I'll give you 30 seconds here or so to plug, plug everything you can for Crack That's Rackets. That's very kind. I'm going to use my 30 seconds to do exactly what my boss Dalton wouldn't want me to do. I will stick with a joke that I know is close to your heart. There's a lot of talk about the silent majority out there nowadays. Well, it's very clear the silent majority in tennis Twitter, they might not say it, but they're very fond of your work. And you mentioned the reporting we did, which all of you can find on CrackRackets.com, as well as our mini break podcast, Great Shot podcast, Cracked Interviews, and Inside Out podcast. In fact, just go subscribe to all of them. Like, rate, subscribe, review, share them with your friends. But, uh, you know, we did a little piece of reporting on our website, again, about the Pair 11, and I texted you as soon as I thought I was on to something, and there was no hesitation. You immediately responded, and you didn't say, hey, I'm going to keep this for myself. I'm going to take advantage of this situation. You embraced me. You corrected me. You stayed up really late with me, and, you know, I mean this sincerely when I say it is nice for us young journalists to have someone like you that we can turn to, and you are just open-armed and embracing us. So thank you very much. Thank you for shaving the mustache. That was a gift to all of us as well. <laughs> and again, you can follow us at Great Shot Pod for me directly at Cracked Rackets for all the content. That was lovely. Yes, the the the, the, the stash. I, there was a Twitter poll that I made today about should I change the photo or not, and it was competitive early. I haven't checked it recently, but like through 150 votes, it was like 51 49. It was surprise. I thought people would be like, I thought it'd be a real 85 15 situation, but there was there was more love for the uh, the mustache, the core stash than I. Uh, <laughs> No, another thing our generation does is hate listen. And to those out there hate listening to this, just know Ben's a good guy. You shouldn't hate him. Oh, well, that's that's sweet of you. Yeah, Um, I mean, you have your flaws. Yeah, the flaws we'll do on a different pod. Okay. (laughs) I look forward to the My Flaws pod at a later time. Alex Gruskin, thank you for being on NCR. Thank you, Ben. So thank you very much to Alex Gruskin for coming on the show. Thank you also to Reem Abuleil as well and to Courtney. And to myself, I guess, and I mean, everyone's on the show. That's weird. I shouldn't thank myself anyway. But I want to thank you guys for your continued support of NCR. Sorry, it's it late and getting a little loopy. Continued support of NCR through just listening to us. That's awesome. And then also from the Patreon. It's been amazing. The support that continues to, I don't want to say trickle because it's been faster than trickle. Stream, stream in the support. We've had three new backers since we last recorded a show yesterday. They are Harlan Cutshall, Scott Rabe, and Barbara Katzenberg. So thank you to those three. And thank you to our Slam Champ backers. We thank every show on our Patreon. They are Liz Cannell, Jonathan Weinbaum, Mary Carrillo, Chuang Nguyen, Betty, Audrey Welland, Sean Mulroy, Joseph Har, Susanna W., and Antonio Maycumber, as well as our GOAT backers, Mike, Charles Cena, and J-O-D. Since emails, no challenges remaining at gmail.com. Did I say the Patreon link? Patreon.com slash no challenges remaining. I hope I did. Anyway, if you want to hear your name on the show, patreon.com slash no challenges remaining and then our email no challenges remaining at gmail.com and follow us on twitter at ncr underscore tennis leave us reviews on itunes wherever else you can leave reviews or podcasts those help as well hope you all have mindful careful times out there remember that your actions have consequences and we'll see you later bye